All right, good morning, familia. Okay, do me a favor and stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5. And we're going to read all the way to uh, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5, all the way to verse 9. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, therefore under, the, uh, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. My assignment today, Lord, is a difficult uh, assignment because I need this sermon just as much as everyone else in this room. It is so difficult, Lord, to speak about something that you struggle with. Uh, therefore, please, Holy Spirit, help me and help us understand and believe what we need to understand and believe. Because at the end of the day, we all need the same thing. We need the power of the gospel and the freedom it gives. In the name of Jesus. We all say? Amen. All right, you may be seated. You know, as I was preparing this week um, for this sermon, I really had a hard time. And I'll tell you why. So today we're starting this new series called Weapons of Self-Destruction. In which we're going to be talking about seven different sins we all have. Seven different things we always struggle with. Uh, seven things that if they take control of our hearts and mind and affections, they make our life miserable. And they make the lives of the people we love miserable. These are seven sins that have the ability and the potential to destroy everything that is beautiful and worth living for. These are seven things that reside in our hearts but that many times are fueled by things outside of us. So we cannot escape those things. Seven sins that we, if we don't deal with them, they shape our character and eventually can lead us to destruction. And that's why we called this series Weapons of Self-Destruction. And today I, um, I was given the task. I, I gave myself, myself the task, which is kind of foolish. Should have given it to somebody else. Um, <laughs> to talk about what someone has called a monster sin, which is the sin of pride. Now, this, this is the reason why I say that this is a difficult thing for me. Um, and, and I'm sure that many of us would agree that we all struggle with the same thing. But uh, talking about pride is complicated because I really know that, that I still struggle with this. And... I see that the Bible tells me that most likely I'm going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. But this is how I was struggling as I was preparing for this sermon because I, I, my thinking was, if I tell the congregation 
that I'm struggling with pride, some people would say, oh, Hannah boy is so humble. <laughs> right? And deep down inside, that fits my pride. Oh, they're going to think that I'm humble. So it's actually a really difficult uh, thing to preach. And it's also difficult because for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, uh, I'm going to go after our hearts. And then the last five minutes, we're going to talk about the gospel, right, which gives us the freedom to actually kill this thing that is destroying us. So these are my three points for today. We're going to talk about what pride means, defining pride. We're going to talk about um, how do we know if we are, we are struggling with this. We're going to talk exposing pride. And number three, we're going to talk about what we need to do to deal or to kill pride, right? Defining pride, exposing pride, killing pride. All right, so in the spirit of honesty, how many of, you are, how many of us struggle with pride? Please raise your hand. Is there anyone here who doesn't struggle with pride? <laughs> Lost, right? Uh, let's go with the first point, defining pride. Notice here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, right at the end, it says a very, very strong phrase. God opposes the proud. Now, what is interesting is that it's one sentence, but in one sentence you have two words that explains why pride is such a dangerous thing. The word opposed there, uh, in English, it's, I, I, don't, I, really, I think that the reason why we use that word is because we don't have in our language a word that truly explains what that means in the original. The word to oppose in the original is to strongly rebel against something or to aggressively reject something. So oppose, usually we think in terms of, I don't like that, or I'm going to resist that. But that's not what God means here. God is talking about something that he strongly hates, aggressively rejects. And then he talks about pride. Now, to give us a good definition of the word pride, we have to understand how the, the, the word pride is constructed in the original, right? So... Um, this, this word pride in the original comes, is made out of two words. The first word is the word hyper, and the second word is the word shine. That's a very important concept. Because if you truly, truly want to understand what it means to be, to struggle with pride, means it's a, it's a person that wants and desires to hyper shine above everyone else, above everything else, including God. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's the heart of a person that is so intoxicated with himself or herself that has this necessity to hypershine above everything else and anything else, including God. See, from that point of view, then we understand that pride is self-preoccupation. We understand that pride is narcissism. We understand that pride is to deny God to what rightly belongs to him. It's a spiritual, uh, someone called a spiritual uh, plagiarism. Pride is to want what God wants, what God gives, but without God. 
It's a cosmic prime, uh, crime. Prime is to desire and to seek to be at the center of everything. Pride, at the end of the day, is self-worship. Now, with those definitions, just from that sentence, you understand why is it that God opposes proudful people? Why is it that this sin is such a, an aggressive thing, a nasty thing? It explains why is it that, uh, that, that, that pride has the potential to, to damage people, right? And we know where this comes from, right? This is right at the beginning of the story. This is right at the beginning of creation. Genesis chapter 3, Adam's and Eve encounter with the devil. And I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, know what happened there. If you remember what the devil, how the devil tempted them, it was really simple. He says, when he's tempting them to grab the fruit, he says, grab it. That way you will be like God. It's about the worship of self. It's about putting myself in the center of everything. Now, what I find super interesting about this is that the devil tempted Adam and Eve with the same struggle he has right from the beginning, right? So if you read Ezekiel chapter 28, God is telling the devil that his problem is that in his heart, he said, I am God. Now, this is what I find even more interesting, that the text that we just read, the last verse we read, verse 8, says that we have to be careful with the, with the devil and be alert and sober mind. That means exercise self-control. Because the devil is like a lion that is walking around you, trying, seeking to destroy you. Now, from the context of the text, it tells us that the, that the devil's primary job, his primary business is to look for proud people and help them become even more proudful. That's his business. You know, so I talk to a lot of people all the time, and there's, there's always certain people that have this kind of um, uh, toxic obsession with the devil, right? And they see the devil in everything. They see the devil in movies. They see the devil in music. They see the devil in the... They see the devil all the time. What I find out, though, is that this group of people usually ignore... The very place where the devil works the most. And it's in here. So you could be afraid of the devil outside of you, but at the end of the day, his primary business is to deal with what you already have in your heart. He cannot create anything. He doesn't have the ability to create anything. All he does is he plays around with what you already have in your heart. The specific, pride. He messes around with what I have in my heart, in a specific pride. So, for example, if I'm craving attention, I could almost hear him saying, you see, Hannibal, they don't appreciate you. See, for example, if I'm struggling with uh, craving recognition, I could almost hear him saying, you see, look at how ungrateful they are. They don't even honor you. See, if I'm struggling in my heart and I'm craving power, I could almost hear the devil telling me, they don't recognize your talents, commitment, and abilities. He's just working with the things that I already have. 
Daniel chapter 12, King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Did I pronounce that right? Woof. Yeah. <laughs> Took me like years. <laughs> if you remember the story, this king, God gives him this amazing kingdom. Beautiful, perfect kingdom. And his struggle was that he looked at the kingdom and said, I did this. And God brought uh, judgment upon him. And for a fragment of time, he became and acted, he became like an animal. See, there's a reason why God opposes the proud. Because it's this desire and this want to hypershine above everyone else, above everything else, including God. It's about the kingdom of self. It's about me thinking about me. Me wanting people to see me. Me wanting people to worship me. That's why Jonathan Edwards, when he talked about pride, he says pride is the most hidden secret and deceitful of all sins. C.S. Lewis would say that pride is the great sin. There's a reason for all of this. And I actually think that this is, there's a reason why pride is the chief sin. It's because I believe that everything else flows from a heart full of pride. Every, any other struggle you have, every other struggle I have flows from this or points to this or is rooted in this. So in this series, for example, uh, just for you to prepare yourself, uh, we're going to talk about envy, right? That's coming next week. Um, but envy comes from a heart that is obsessed with, with self-honor. We're going to talk about anger, for example. And anger, the sinful anger, uh, comes from a heart that is obsessed with self-exaltation or self-righteousness. We're going to talk about lust, for example. And that comes from a heart that is obsessed with self-gratification. Anxiety, we're going to talk about anxiety, um, and many times, not, not always, but anxiety sometimes comes from a heart that cannot deal with the reality that we are not in control, and we want to be in control. You know, what's that, you know what the name of that is? Self-confidence. We're going to talk about greed. That comes from a heart that is intoxicated with self-love, and we're going to talk about self-indulgence which comes from a heart that is obsessed with self-satisfaction. So let me quote C.S. Lewis here again. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And you see, everything that we have done Everything that we do and everything that we will do that goes against the glory of God and is offensive to God flows, comes from the same place. Hearts full of pride. That's why preaching this sermon is so complicated. And to make, what makes things uh, even more difficult is that we are part of a culture that celebrates pride. Right, so I've been reading a book. Um, I actually recommend this book. It's not a Christian book. 
I'm not even sure if the author is Christian, but uh, is David's Bro- uh, David Brooks' last book. He's a journalist, journalist from the New York Times. He wrote a book called The Second Mountain, The, Requ- uh, the Quest for, Mor- for a Moral Life. And this is what he says. For six decades, the worship of self has been the central preoccupation of our culture. Molding the self, investing in the self, expressing the self. Capitalism, the meritocracy, and modern social science have normalized selfishness. They have made it seem that the only human motives that, that, that the only human motives that are real are the self-interested ones. When a whole society is built around self-preoccupation, its members become separated from one another, divided and alienated. That's what has happened to us. We are down in the valley. Now, when a secular thinker, because I'm not even sure if he's a Christian yet. When a secular thinker sees what Christians have been seeing for ages, that tells you something. See, this is, pride is a major issue. What is interesting, though, is that we talk a lot about this topic and yet, somehow, we're still struggling with it so much at all levels. So I guess part of my invitation to you today is that you learn to identify when is it that you are behaving out of pride. And I want to help you with that today. All right? Because if I suffer, you're going to suffer with me. <laughs> Let's go to the second point, exposing pride. So I'm going to ask you four questions. And this is, this is not coming from me. If there's a, uh, another great book that I recommend, is Jerry Bridges' um, Respectable Sins. Actually, this is a modification of something that he says there. Um, he actually says that pride, even in the Christian community, has become one of those things that, eh, it's all right. He says, well, that, that could never be. There's nothing respectable about that sin. So this is, once again, a modification of something that he says in, one of, in, in that book. So I'm going to frame it in terms of, like, uh, in a form of questions, right? And then I will add to it. So the first question is this. Am I seeking self-promotion? That's a question that behind everything you do, you got to ask the question. Am I seeking self-promotion? Now, I told you at the beginning when I was thinking about this point in specific, and I'm thinking about my sermon today, that was the question that I was struggling with. As I preach, am I seeking self-promotion, or am I seeking the glory of God and your joy and salvation? See, anything we do, if the motive is to exalt ourselves, to promote ourselves, or to justify ourselves then that's pride. There's a great comedian. If you like comedy, you're going to like this one. His name is Brian Regan. He's got this um, routine called the Me Monster. If you like comedy, you have to see it, because I'm not going to try to be funny. Um, I'm just funny like that. But the, <laughs> I want you to see it, because he explains this. He, he gives this, uh, this uh, he's sharing this one time that he was uh, in a dinner or something, and and. Every time you hear this one person that is, like, is the, the, 
the one that wants to take the attention from everybody, right? And part of the conversation is, look at what I did, and look at what I've done, and this is me, and me, and me this, and me that, and me, and me, and me, and me, and me. And he says that he was so annoying that he's, tr- he's trying to get some sort of conversation in the, be- in the midst of all of this. So he's trying to change the conversation, and he says, well, I just got a couple of tooth removed. And then the guy responded, oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you how many of my teeth got removed. It was five. No, no, six. No, no, nine. And this is the whole idea here of a person that is so desperate to get the attention from everybody. Because we are in the business of self-promoting. You know what the problem is with that one, though? That the more you think about yourself, the less you can think of anybody else. You cannot exercise compassion, for example. Because the question is, if, if you're hurting and I cannot see you in your hurt, all I'm thinking is, well, I, I got hurt too. It's impossible, actually, to love anybody and exercise compassion to somebody when the only preoccupation is me. It's impossible to be a real friend to anybody when the only preoccupation is me. And what makes it even worse is that proudful people use other people as tools of, of self-promotion. Oh, I know that you had a hard time, but let me tell you what I went through. Am I being self, am I, is the motive behind everything I do self-promotion? Question number two. Am I being driven by self-pity? Now, this is the thing. Self-pity is another way that you promote yourself. It's when when we say things like, oh, poor me. This is self-degradation, right? Self-demotion, self-condemnation. Oh, look at me. I'm just so... But if you pay attention, this one is very similar to the last one. Because the motive is just look at me. You know who does this really well? Actually, these two points? Kids. So li- these are my little ones. When they wanted some- something from me, when they were little, um, they would either, in- they would make everything. My wife and I are having dinner. We're having a ha- trying to have a conversation, and they kept on talking, saying things about them, right? It's me. Look at what I have. Puppy, look at me. Look at it. And we would say, baby, you know, calm down, you know. It's, you're not the only person in the universe. That's what we actually said, right? <laughs> After we would say that, one of them would go, that's self-pity, seeking the same attention. When I was a teacher, and you're probably going to hate me for this one, all right? When I was a teacher... Every time one of my students was being super loud or trying to be funny or doing silly things, I would stop the class. And I would say, all right, students, stop for a second. Let's look at Hannibal over there. Because he seems like if he's desperate for attention, let's give him a few seconds of attention. And then I had, I was teaching in Chicago, all 40 students, because that's how we do it in Chicago. All 40 students will look at this student for about 20 seconds. 
And I said, all right, Hannibal, tell us what you need to say. And they would stay quiet. Now, I've shared that with someone before, and this person would say, well, you were the worst teacher ever. That was terrible. You don't know what you did to that kid's self-esteem that day. <laughs> you embarrassed him. And I said, no, 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 no. He was embarrassing himself already. I gave him what he wanted. I think that we all do the same thing. I think that we are so desperate to be approved. I think that we are so desperate to get people's attentions. I think that we are so desperate to feel that we are worthy. I think that we struggle so much with this that it doesn't matter what we do, we, 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 we want self-promotion either by the things we say or how we act or how we want people to feel sorry for us. So here, there's nothing wrong with you wanting that. And I'll come back to that later on. The problem is when you think that people can actually give you that. People cannot make you feel that you are worthy. It doesn't matter if Disney tell our kids that they are the best things in the world. People don't have that power and ability to make you feel that you are important. They, people cannot give you that. You cannot give me this. So an example that I have for this, every time I preach, you know, uh, people say good things. It, it just takes one of you to say something wrong. That kills me, man. I, I pray that the Lord gives me freedom and something says that I'm not going to have that freedom here. It could be all of you. It could be the entire church saying, awesome sermon, Hannibal. But then one person says, Man, that was long. <laughs> That's it. It could be one person who says, well, you didn't pronounce that one right. That's it. Oh, you are not as biblical today. That's it. It takes one. And that's the pride in my heart. And something tells me that I'm not the only one. Question number three. Am I being antisocial? Now, this one we're going to get from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. And I want you to notice there's something really, really simple. God is calling us to clothe ourselves with humility. Notice here the second part. Toward one another. The reason why this is important is because humility, at the end of the day, has this double relationship, right? It's with other people and with God. And what Peter is saying here is that, that our humility affects other people. And if that is true, then pride also affects other people. That's the problem with pride, is that it's not just an individualistic thing. It affects all the people we love. By nature, pride is antisocial. Pride is a disruption of social harmony. And I think that we got to keep that in mind. So, let me tell you why. And I'm going to give you once again. This is Jerry Bridges. He says, for example, that pride has the ability uh, to make you feel uh, that you are morally uh, superior to other people. 
It's super interesting because we all struggle with this in a way. We all have categories of sins, right? So there are sins that we truly hate, which are most likely the ones that we don't do, right? But there are other sins that we struggle with, and those are the ones we excuse. Here. The problem, though, is that the people that practice or are living in the sin that we don't like, those we feel that we're superior to them. What I find amazing about the Bible, though, is that you never see categories. The consequences are different, but you never see categories. Matthew chapter 15, for example, Jesus talks about killing. You shouldn't kill anybody. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't commit sexual immorality. You shouldn't uh, steal, and you shouldn't um, lie. But then he says, don't slander. You know what that means? Is when you talk to somebody about someone else, and you damage their dignity by the things you say. Religious people say, I'm going to tell you this about Hannibal, so we could pray for him. <laughs> Jesus doesn't do that. Paul, in Romans chapter, chapter 13, he says, well, we shouldn't be uh, participating in the darkness, right? Let's not participate in wild parties or drunkenness or sexual immorality, right? But then he says, don't be jealous either. You know what jealousy is, right? When you don't get to enjoy what that person has because you don't have it. When you're not content with the things you have because that person has more than what you do. See, the, the Bible doesn't give us permission to have these categories. Therefore, we have no permission for, um, to feel superior when it comes to morality. The same thing, you can apply the same principle to your beliefs and my beliefs. Once again, this is the Lord speaking to me. You know, I have some core beliefs from the Bible. And there are things that I know are there, completely there. But there are other things that there is just not as clear. There are things that I'm just going to find out about the Bible, about God, once I get to heaven. I have no permission to brag about my beliefs. Let's, let's talk about having an independent spirit. That means that you, uh, that you and I could have this tendency to resist authority, especially the spiritual authority, says Jerry Bridges, or that we have an unteachable attitude. That shows your pride. That shows my pride. You have nothing to teach me. Let me, let me apply that to uh, fighting and arguing. Because I think there's room in the Christian life to learn how to fight. In every fight, in every argument, at least 10% of the stuff you hear is true for you. Maybe not 100%, but at least 10% of whatever people told you is true of you. You know, sometimes in couples when they argue and we use the word, you never do this. You have always that. Well, that's an exaggeration, but there's got to be at least 10% of that that is true. I have no permission to be proud about anything in my life. You have no permission. Now, the last thing that you're going to see here is that pride is anti-God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Once again, Peter calls us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. 
Now, it's interesting because that phrase, it's a phrase that we find in the book of Exodus, in which the Israelites are celebrating how God gave them freedom from Egypt. And I think that Peter's idea here is that we ought to remember that God is powerful, that he delivers, that he gives freedom, that he cares, that he provides, that he is faithful. But then he calls us, be humble before him. So I think that what Peter is saying is, don't ever forget that everything you are and everything you have comes from him. Nothing you are, nothing we, are, we have is because we made it happen. At the end of the day, it's all grace. It all comes from him. It isn't my abilities, it isn't my talents, it isn't how hard I study, how much I work. At the end of the day, he made it happen. No room for pride. Question. How do we kill this? Point number three. See, I told you that the reason why we struggle with pride is because we all want to know that we're special. We all want to know that we matter. We all want to know that we have dignity. We all want to be appreciated. See, it's a good desire that turned into a sinful desire. And I already told you that the problem is that we're trying to look for that in the wrong places with the wrong people. People don't have that ability. They don't have that power. But God does. And God did. So I want to show you this verse. I'm going to skip another one because I don't have a lot of time. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, you see this phrase, this, you see these two phrases, right? It calls us to clothe yourself with humility. You see that there? And then in verse 6, it says, humble yourself. Now, so I was studying the Bible, I realized that there's, not, there's only one verse in the entire Bible in which God calls you to be humble. That's Ephesians chapter 4. Every other example in the Bible in which humility is mentioned never says, be humble. So if I tell you that the solution, the solution for your pride is to be humble, you're not going to make it. Because the moment I try to be humble... I become the center of attention. It's on me. And if it's on me, there goes my pride. Therefore, there's got to be something else. Now, when you read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, and I'm going to skip something there, it calls us to resist the devil standing firm in the faith. Every time you see when, when, when the New Testament uses the phrase, in the faith, is calling us to believe, to stand firm, to be obsessed, to cling to what Jesus already did for us. The only way you clothe yourself with humility, the only way you learn how to exercise humility 
even as you struggle with your pride, is when you remember, when you embrace, when you cling to what Jesus Christ already did for you. Let me tell you why. Because the only way you forget about yourself is when you stop thinking about yourself and you start thinking about what, who he is and what he did for you. The one that even though he was everything, became nothing. He humbled himself for you. He took the consequences of your spiritual plagiarism. See, the only way we become humble is when we know that everything we are and everything we have is because of his grace. Grace displayed on what happened in the cross. See, the only way we stop worshiping ourselves is when we worship him. The author of perfect and perfected of our faith. The only way we stop talking, taking credit for what we are and what we have done is when we know and believe that everything we are and we have everything we are and we have done is because of him. See, the only way we stop feeling superior to others is when we remember that we are so sinful that Jesus had to die for me. And yet we are so loved that Jesus was glad to die for me. That's your dignity. That's your value. That's your worth. See, the only way I stop promoting myself and exercising self-pity is when I know that I don't have nothing to gain. I have it all in Jesus Christ. See, the only way I find, I stop, um, I stop finding pride in my achievements, for example, is when I know that I don't have nothing to prove. I have been already approved in Jesus Christ. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. You are special. If not, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross for you. You are worthy. If not, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross for you. You have value. If not, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross for you. You have nothing to brag about. It's all a gift. And when you have that, little by little, you're not just managing your pride. You kill it. Little by little. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Can you please stand? Lord, we know that... Um, we, we know who we are and we know what we have done. We know, Lord, that we don't deserve anything from you. And yet, we have it all in you. I pray, Lord, that you help us kill the pride that lives in us. And helps us, help us clothe ourselves with the humility that Jesus Christ gives us. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say...